Good morning. The text for this morning is from the second book of Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Second Corinthians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. We pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we come before you and give thanks for the prayers of many, as Paul did. Father, the many are gathered here in your house to worship you, to glorify you, to praise your holy name. And the many have gathered here this morning, Lord, also to be nourished and fed by your word. We're grateful, Lord, and we're thankful for Pastor Kyle and the work that he put in this week to bring us a message of hope and comfort. And Father, we just ask that we receive this message, and as we receive it, we take it to heart and become better people. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. While we were away, I was reading a book that was a collection of blog posts by Kara Tippetts, a woman in her late 30s who was diagnosed with breast cancer and wrote three books during that time. The last was a collection of the blog posts which she shared walking through the journey and the ups and downs, the struggles and fears, a mother four children, a husband who was a church planter. Uh, often as I would read one of the articles, just reflecting on the prevalence of suffering in the world, uh, her story was not unique. Uh, 
She's not isolated in her burden. Uh, of all sorts, people are suffering and struggling by the billions. Living in a world where humanity is in rebellion against the ways of God has brought uh, what the, the Scripture describes as groaning upon all of creation. Living in this world means that uh, we struggle and at times we suffer. Uh, life can go from hard to harder. We just get wearied by it. Uh, we struggle with wanting to know why. Uh, we can be discouraged in the sense of our own weaknesses. Uh, we can be frustrated by what we cannot fix as hard as we try. And in the midst of it all, Satan weasels his way in, whispering, see, see how far God is from you. See how inactive God is. He tries to tell us that God's against us, or not against us, at least he's not really for you. And as people who who want to be pleasing to God and want to have an intimacy of relationship, uh, there can be that, that extra burden of wanting God to be near and not always feeling that He's near. The book of 2 Corinthians is going to help us because struggle and suffering are a prominent theme, first to last chapter. Paul brings it up over and over again, much of it dealing with his own experience. This is the most personal, the most emotional and autobiographical uh, of all of Paul's letters. We, we get to know the man much more and what he has been through. He suffered an oversized share of affliction. And some had entered into the Corinthian church who were saying that the, the magnitude of Paul's suffering and affliction was a proof that he really didn't have the power and authority of God. If he did, he wouldn't have all of these problems and heartaches. So Paul is responding to that accusation. His correction of that misunderstanding, that, that falsehood, uh, it not only rebukes the critics, but it serves the church as he, he gives us the tools to correctly understand our struggles and suffering and, and how to use that, how to think about it in a way that, that really does reflect the gospel and greatness of, of God's work in us and on our behalf. As God's people, it's important that we don't define success 
or strength or even weakness in the same way that the world does. We, we have weaknesses, we, we have failures, we, we hope to have successes, but we should understand these things in a way that is appropriate to the realities of God. And so Paul helps us with that. We're going to see over and over again that God's power is front and center in all of our weaknesses, in all of our struggles, in all of our affliction. And so we're, we're referring to uh, our study of this book, Power and Weakness, because that's that's the wonderful truth for every believer. We have power in the midst of our weakness. And we begin uh, in chapter 1 uh, with Paul declaring that the comfort of God is not only real, it's enough to share. The comfort of God should so fill our hearts that that we're not only comforted in a, in a real way, but the comfort of God overflows because the world around us needs that the comfort of God would overflow. Your brothers and sisters in this church need to have the comfort of God to you overflowing to them. And so Paul begins... Uh, by affirming that affliction and comfort are both part of the Christian life. Afflictions come to those who are strong in the Lord, those who are faithful to God. That, that doesn't you know, cause God to keep affliction from their lives. Paul begins in verse 1 by declaring he's an apostle by the will of God. And then begins describing the afflictions that he has. In verses 4 and 5, where he speaks of God comforting in all our afflictions, so we're able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Uh, Paul's talking about himself there. It is, scholars call it the apostolic we. He's talking about apostles, he and Timothy, who uh, he sends the greetings from. Uh, It's a biographical statement beginning in verse 6. Then he begins speaking of of you and your. Right here, uh, he's referring to this as a testimony. This has been true for him. He has suffered much and God has been faithful to comfort him always. His sufferings were not from a lack of power. They were not because God was far. That God had kind of made his protection rather porous when it came to Paul. Indeed, much of his affliction came because he was serving Christ. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ we share abundantly in comfort. The New Testament actually many times clearly states that God's people will suffer. The Bible says it numbers of places and numbers of ways. 
In fact, it says, if you seek to live godly, if you're completely committed, you will suffer. In addition to the statements of the fact that if we want to mature and grow, suffering is a part of it. Or the fact that just to live in the world, you will suffer. The Bible covers all the bases. As a person living and breathing, you will suffer. As someone who wants to follow God, you will suffer. As someone whom Satan opposes, you will suffer. It's, it's part of life in this world. And even though the Bible lets us know about it, we still receive it with surprise. Whoa! What's going on? And the surprise can go further to, God, what are you doing? God, why are you so far away? God, why are you so unfair? We have all sorts of attitudes, perspective, blame, complaints that we cast at God, uh, doubting his faithfulness, even though God has said that affliction's part of life in this world. Believers regularly misinterpret, misunderstand the realities of struggle and suffering. Part of what Paul will help us correct in our thinking. Because this we should know. God is not faithless. God is never faithless. In fact, the Bible says when we are faithless, he is still faithful. In verse 4, it says he brings comfort with our affliction. It's a comprehensive comfort. It, it's a comfort greater than. We, we can suffer a great deal. The comfort of God is always greater than. It is a comfort, verse 4, for all affliction and for any affliction. Comfort so full in all affliction that it, it is greater than our struggle and overflows so that we can comfort people in any situation. So even if our affliction is overwhelming and then we're aware of the overwhelming affliction of someone else, the grace and faithfulness of God is sufficient for it all. That's how Paul lived. In fact, later in, in chapter 12, Paul will share his interaction with God about a particular matter of affliction where the Lord will tell him, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. My comfort is enough. My faithfulness, my presence, my truth, my promise, the covenant I've brought you in, all of this is enough even when we look at the list of sufferings that Paul's had. Even if we look at our own list. Uh, this, the word for comfort used over and over again, I, I believe ten times in this section. The word for comfort, is, it's not passive. 
It's not simply kind of anesthetizing a grandmotherly, I'll make you feel better. You know, the grandson falls down and, you know, let me give you a cookie, let grandma make you feel better. As wonderful as that is. Don't want to make the grandmothers mad, especially in the next service. (laughs) The comfort here is a robust active comfort that implies exhortation a comfort that is exhorting that is speaking to us of the faithfulness of God it's a comfort that is strengthening it's not just covering over the edges and and trying to take some of the pain it is a comfort that speaks and preaches to our soul it is a comfort that enters in and strengthens us so that we may serve our Lord and live for him, that we can be a comfort to others. Then why, you may be asking, why don't I always feel the comfort of God? I'm not going to say this is not true, it's not real, But why don't we always feel the comfort of God? I'm sure there's numbers of reasons. Uh, Let me mention three quickly. The first is we may falsely expect that comfort means the removal of problems. That the only way God can comfort us is to take away any affliction or struggle. And that's... That's not what the promise of comfort is. The removal, or I should say the present removal, because there will be a removal of all of it. There will be the day when God himself will wipe away every tear. So every burden will be removed. But we all know we have to go through to get there. It's not in this world. Another reason we may not... Be aware of the comfort of God is that what we value in life leads us to improperly weigh our struggles and God's comfort. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says that I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is real, and we know from Paul's life how real sufferings were. He says, but they're not even worth comparing. But if we're not valuing highly the person of God, if we're not treasuring Christ, and the gospel relationship we have with him, if we're not thinking highly of the forever ahead of us, and if we are kind of obsessed with career now, things now, the respect of people now, if, if our hearts were, are filled with the same things the world is, then the comforts of God just seem rather thin. The comforts of God receive their 
their full weight in our heart when the person of God is weighed properly in our hearts. When we value Him and His presence. And, and when we value gospel work and the promises of how He is using us. How He is making us more effective for the kingdom through our struggles. If our heart is given to gospel work, then Though it's not easy, we have a gladness that God is preparing us to come alongside people for the gospel and their suffering. So we can have a wrong expectation that comfort means removal of difficulty. We could improperly weigh the comfort and the suffering because of our values. And, and thirdly, we may not fully believe the comforts that God gives. Just not convinced 2 Corinthians, later in this book, chapter 12, verse 10, for the sake of Christ, I am content. Here, now, here's a mouthful. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, not sure what a calamity is. Sounds pretty bad. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do we believe what God says? Are we convinced? Uh, not do we believe it in the theological sense. The Bible says that it must be true. Does our heart embrace it? If if we're not believing in the comforts that what God is doing is of such value that we can become content even when it doesn't get easier. Just the realities of God become so great in our mind that the burden doesn't seem as heavy as it used to. That comes from our value of God and, and how we believe what he says about what is taking place. So how do we find God's comforts? We're all afflicted. We all want to be comforted. The comforts of God are here. They are sufficient. How do we find the comforts of God? We begin, as Paul does, by looking for comfort in the nature of God. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comforts. Paul begins his, his teaching on the comfort of God by giving a praise to the, the nature of God, of who God is. Who is the God of comforts? And when he says God of all comfort, he is speaking of God's capacity. He is the one who is able to comfort. He is Lord God. He has the sufficiency. He is always greater than in everything. God is not only greater than other beings, God is not only greater than all other foes, God is greater than our afflictions. He is greater than our hurts. He is 
greater than our sorrows. He is the, the God of comforts, the God big enough, great enough, powerful enough, wise enough that he can comfort us. We can have a heart to comfort others, but at times we're aware of what we just can't do. We can't even physically be with people we want to to comfort. We, we can't take out of our heart and put it in theirs. We, are, we can be comforters, but we're limited. God is not. He is the God of all comfort, and He is the Father of mercies. That's referring not to His capacity, but to His character. That's what He's like. It's what He does. It's His heart. It's what He wants to do for you. The Father of something is the source of it. So where do comforts come from? They come from the heart of God. They come from His compassion. His knowing and feeling your sorrow and pain and His heart to come alongside of you. He is the one able and He is the one committed who desires to be a comfort. We, we've all experienced measure of comfort we've received from people that we love, friends, family, of just wanting to be home with your, with your spouse when you've been beaten down through the day, knowing you just feel better there, or wanting to hear the voices of the grandkids coming, just being there with them, you feel better. Why are we comforted by being with particular people? It's because we, we love them and we've cultivated something with them. We've cultivated a relationship so that when they arrive, when we are near them, instantly we receive some measure of comfort. So likewise, the comfort we receive from God deepens when we have cultivated a loving relationship. When time with God is not just, God, you got to do something, though there may be always some of that coming from our mouth, it's, God, you're here. You're here. Because our love for Him has grown, the, the awareness that He is here, and we've, we've pushed aside all else just to focus on the, the hereness of God. And to speak to him and pour out our heart and think of, of his commitment to us. And so, if, if you tend to have the, I'm just too busy to spend time with God view about life, I'm, I'm too busy to really be consistent with God's word. I, I'm, I'm too busy to, to spend any meaningful time in prayer. Uh, that has consequences. It has 
real consequences. God is not being faithless. God is not ignoring you because you don't read your Bible or you don't spend much time in prayer. You, however, do not, can not, can not, it is impossible to have a deep relationship with God if you don't spend any time with Him. And if you're not cultivating that, then the comforts of God are ideas and words that don't pierce and soothe. And the knowledge that He's here is just a fact. And it doesn't do much for you. It's like you're burdened and you sit down on a, you know, on a bus next to someone and comfort just doesn't flow over you because you don't know who he is. Just some person. Is God you know, just the great some person out there? But if we are, if we are pursuing, knowing, and loving him, the comforts of God, they become more tangible and nearer. We're more easily filled with them. His words to us are very believable. Now, finding comfort is not effortless, and it's not always immediate. Uh, look at verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Now pay attention to the, how he describes it. We were so utterly burdened beyond strength that we despaired of life. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. That's a heavy heart. Paul's just saying, this, this is what it felt like. We didn't know if we would make it. I was despairing. Me, the Apostle Paul, my heart was filled with despair. The affliction was real. The comfort was not immediate, but the comfort came. Real comfort came. So that... Before he, he tells us of how bad he felt, he is letting us know that my God comforts in all afflictions so that I can comfort others, whatever they're going through. In, in chapter 7, verse 5, Paul lets us know how shaken he was. He describes the situation as fighting without and fear within. But if we're convinced of God's character, if we're convinced he is the God of all comforts, if we're convinced of God's willingness, his nature, he is the father of mercies, then we will keep pursuing that comfort because we know it's there. We know God's not withholding it. God's not hiding it. God's not keeping us at arm's distance. We know the heart and capacity of God. And if we will pursue Him, comfort will be there. 
And the fact for Paul that it wasn't immediate, he says, because I had to learn once again not to rely on myself, but to rely on God. How can we be sure that the comforts of God really are that full? How can we be sure He is the God of all comforts, that He is the Father of mercies? How can we be sure of God's heart for us? And the answer is always the same, the cross. What else, what more could God do to demonstrate to us I'm committed. I'm all in. That he is the one who sent Christ. He is the one who withheld the judgment we deserve so that Christ could come and save us. He is the one who received the sacrifice Christ laid down through his blood and said, yes, you are clean. He is the one who initiated it all. In every doubt and struggle with God's heart for us, the cross is the answer because that's simply the greatest proof. There, there's no proof above that. There are lots of other proofs, but there's nothing like the cross. That's why we never stop singing about it, thinking about it, speaking about it. Because there's nothing more important to magnify in our minds and hearts. There's nothing else that saves us. There's nothing that brings greater comfort to us. And so we, we find comfort by looking at the nature of God and pursuing that person. And then related to that, we look for comfort in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we, as we say, we preach the gospel to ourselves. Preaching the gospel to ourselves, meaning we, we speak to ourselves, we remind ourselves of what is in the gospel. What has God done? We give ourselves the proofs again of God's commitment. We remind ourselves of these truths and how wonderful they are. So our heart starts gaining not only comfort, it, it gains true perspective. That even though it seems like the world's against you, the world becomes much smaller as God becomes bigger. We preach to ourselves that though we were sinners, helpless under the judgment of God, that God sent his son in order that he would die to save us. And whoever would call upon him is saved. We didn't work for it. We didn't have to build up credit. We don't have to do a bunch of things to maintain it. God just heaps it upon us. The, the fullness of his grace and goodness just thrown, cast upon us the moment we believed. Paul connects the comfort of God with Jesus Christ our Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's why he is our heavenly father, because Jesus, his son, invited us. When you pray, say, our father who is in heaven. That had never been prayed before. That had never been offered by scripture before. It is Christ in coming who said, I who am the son of God, and you now are my brothers and sisters. I am, I am giving you the privilege. You can pray as I do, my father in heaven. Think of how that changes the way we view God and interact. He is still the, the awesome Lord God, and that awesome Lord God is our Father. And He is the Father, the sender of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ. The chosen one that God had sent to deliver us, to save us. And now, as children, we are heirs with Christ. And the entirety of God's grace, the entirety of his love, belongs to us. God has not given us part of his heart. What does God ask of us? Love me with all heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do we actually think God's commitment is less than that? Do we really believe that God's saying, I want all that's in you? Well, I'm not giving it. God has already given us all of his heart. Think of that. We can't. It's too big. The entirety of the heart of God. The magnitude of his affections are ours in its entirety and nothing can separate us from that love of God we have in Christ Jesus. Not even our own foolishness, stubbornness, and failures because we have it in Jesus Christ. Comfort is not found in smoother circumstances, which that's what we want. Sometimes he brings us smoother circumstances, but think of all the people in the world that have the things we think are better circumstances. They've got plenty of money. They've got the big home. They, they have influence and work, and, and their lives are miserable. They don't have comfort in life. They have everything life could get and are more miserable. I was reading yesterday that the higher education and the higher economic, economic level students are in, the higher the level of depression. So all of that, as much as we can enjoy it, does not soothe the soul for more than the couple minutes it took to get the new thing out of the box. And as soon as you're used to it. So comfort is not in smoother circumstances. It's in the gospel that it's all true. And comfort is not in gaining control. God, just let me fix it. I feel much better if I can fix it, which means fix them. We want to be the great fixer. Then we'll feel better. But comfort's not in gaining control, is it? Verse 9. 
we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. The comfort came when he realized he was not the one who was going to fix, solve, or change the situation. That he would rely on God who was faithful. He would trust what God was doing. Reliance on God requires that we trust what we know, not what we see. Faith is not you know, the blind faith that just throws itself on God without any basis. Faith is what we don't see, but it is on what we know. It's on what we've experienced from God. And so we may not see, well, what's God going to do here? But relying on him, trust that what he's going to do will be good for us and for the kingdom. It means we don't need to know exactly how it's going to work out to still be comforted. And it means that we can find comfort without God making us the great fixer. That's, that's Jesus' role. He's the great fixer. We're not. We also, thirdly, take comfort in knowing that our suffering is shared with Christ. Verse 5. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort. The, the, the sufferings we share with Christ, it is, the context here is it's, we're sharing for the kingdom of Christ. We're just as Christ came and, and suffered to fulfill the Father's will to save us, uh, Paul's suffering was because he was obedient. He was following Christ, and he was suffering for Christ's namesake. But suffering can also be the suffering that shapes us to be like Christ. <clears throat> In Hebrews 2.10, it says that Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Jesus, the man, was worthy, the perfect man, to die in our place because he endured all sorts of temptations like us without sin. So he was the fully righteous man. In order to be our substitute, he didn't just appear one day as a man and go to the cross. He, he lived a life of complete faithfulness and so was worthy in his humanity to die. And so he suffered Grief and opposition and heartache and all sorts of things without sin. And so when we suffer in ways that is shaping and sifting our character, we're, that's also the suffering with Christ. Because we are suffering to have his character. But what if you're suffering today just for the fault of your own sin? Nothing noble. It's not because you were standing for Christ. It's not even the suffering of your characters being built. It was just sheer foolish sin. And you're suffering some consequences. Is there any comfort for that? That suffering is also shared with Christ. <laughs> for he took the guilt of it all on the cross so that we would be left 
with the comfort that the guilt is gone. And that in God's eyes, even with our foolishness, in God's eyes, we are righteous. We are pleasing. We are beloved. But don't just find comfort. Paul says, share your comfort. God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. How do we share our comfort? Recognize the magnitude of God's comfort. That it's not only real, it's not only enough for you, it is enough to share. That's how much grace is upon you. Sam Storms, a, a pastor and writer, in speaking on this passage, he says, instead of asking why, God, ask what for, how do I use this? And then I loved his next question. And then ask, who else? Who else is hurting? Who else is suffering? Who else needs to know about this Christ and his comforts? That we don't just become self-focused and selfish and self-pitying. Immerse your thoughts in the comforts God has provided. Saturate heart and mind with the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God by saturating your heart and mind with the gospel and the person of Christ and the reality of the Holy Spirit. If you saturate your heart and mind with the faithfulness of God, your attitude will become more outward-looking. You, you will naturally have a concern for others and not just for yourselves. And what you have to share will be about Christ because your heart's filled with Christ. People don't need your wisdom to make them feel better. Probably you'll just mess things up. The moment we try to be wise to people and struggle, we say something dumb. If we are just there with love, a love for them, a love for God, a heart that's hurting with them. If we are representing Christ, we will be his comforter. And last of all, be prayerful for those who need comfort. Interesting, verse 11, you also must help us by prayer. He's already spoken about the comfort of God, but he says you must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks. He's saying, I need your prayers. Your prayers work. And your prayers bring a work that, that causes many to be thankful because they will see the true and active work of God. People need your prayers. People need your prayers. You need to be a praying person because it changes your heart and your attitude. So think of prayer, uh, I've been trying to do this recently, not as the list of things that, well, I've got them down, so I've got to pray for them. Think of your prayers as a way for you to share life with the people you love. 
You know, my, my kids are all hundreds of miles away. When I pray for them, I'm sharing life with them. The Wendemeyers in Thailand who are church planning and have all this difficulty. Uh, when I pray for them, I'm part of what they're doing. I'm sharing life with them. Think of your prayers as a way for the people that you care about. You care enough to pray for them. When you pray for them, you're sharing their life. You're becoming part of it. And isn't that what you want? You want their life blessed. You wish you were there. You want to help them. You want to serve them. When you pray for them, you are stepping into their life by the grace of God. And you're sharing in what's going on for the praise of God. Suffering is real. But so is God's comfort. And his comfort is full enough to share. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we declare our, our trust in you. And we ask that you would help us to refresh our commitment to give attention to you every day, not to allow ourselves to enter days where we're not giving some measure of engagement and time to you, that our hearts readily run to you and know you, that communication is open. Help us in this. We, we pray together for your precious comfort on every heart that's aching this morning. We ask for insight and, and grace, faith to believe for every heart that's struggling to see your comfort, that you would, you would indeed fulfill your word. You would make us comforters of others in a world that desperately needs it. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.